0: Welcome to Leaders Recon, where we discuss leadership, warrior skills, and other unique opportunities within the G3 leader development branch. I'm your host, Joshua Carr, and today we have with us Colonel Urges and Lieutenant Colonel War to talk about a subject which is really near and dear to my heart, and that is uh, political activities and, you know, touching on like the apolitical nature of the Guard as a whole. Um, I guess both of you, welcome to the program. Thank <laughs> you. So, as we dive into um, Political activities here and and the apolitical nature of the guard. I know we've all had the uh, mandatory training that we have to sit through and and click through sides and listen things, but I know we're going to have a little bit of a discussion here. Before we get into it, uh, are both of you um, active guardsmen, traditional guardsmen, or what was your what was your path? From, My path uh, to the guard from uh, law school to. Where you are now I
1: um, it's funny uh, I, I think back to, to college I was sitting in a psych 101 class with a professor of military science at the college I went to you were allowed to take classes for free and he looked at me and he said you'd, I, I would lend him my notes and he'd, he said you'd be a great um, you'd be a, a great army ROTC candidate uh, and I sort of nah, no way uh, so I, I never thought twice about it I was not an ROTC cadet um, And instead, I I got interested in the Army when I was in law school as a a path to travel, really. Stationed overseas, ability to have a lot of responsibilities early on in one's career rather than doing due diligence at a law firm or that kind of thing. So I came into uh, the Army as a direct commissionee right out of law school, and I served 13 years in the active components, primarily stationed in Germany in the D.C. area and was thinking about a change maybe getting out my spouse was a civilian at the time he'd gotten out of the army uh and as a result um an opportunity for an agr position opened up here at ngb uh, and so i've been here for about seven years so here you are yeah so i've always been on active duty in some form but um straight from the active component to agr
0: so and now colonel war you had a little bit of a different story right you you, you were a civilian for a time
2: right so I first joined the Guard when I was 17. My sister dated uh, a lieutenant in the Guard, and so he told me about it, he recruited me. And so I was in the Guard while I was in high school, in college, then I joined ROTC. And then while I was in law school, I rejoined the the Guard and finally went on active duty after law school. After I left active duty, I came back to the Guard. And so I was part-time for two years, a uh, traditional Guardsman.
0: So you so you did a little bit of everything then. So mm-hmm. When you were a civilian, did you private practice or a prosecutor? Yes. What's the...
2: So um, I, I worked in private practice. I re- represented mortgage bankers in uh, state court uh, dealing with foreclosures and then in federal court dealing with bankruptcy.
0: So that's real interesting. So, so you guys have a little bit of a varied background then. So I know we're talking today about this, you know, political activities. And I guess as we dive into that, you know, um, I'm sure there's a lot of things that drilling guardsmen especially uh, can do as political impact I, I know for, you know, when I first commissioned brand new lieutenant in the guard, I didn't actually tell anyone because I was working in politics at the time and I was working alongside my tag. I remember walking in because I was uh, the liaison from uh, the, the new governor's office who I had been working for on the campaign to, uh, to uh, the the guard infrastructure, you know, highway patrol, like security related infrastructure for, um, for the state of Missouri. Like emergency management. Yeah, exactly. All that. Right. And, uh, but I didn't tell any of these people I was working with that I was also in the guard because I was like, no way am I going to tell them I just commissioned as a brand new lieutenant in the guard. And so, you know, we've been having these meetings and briefings and all this stuff. And then one day the, the whole, the guard infrastructure was, was briefing us because we we're, you know, new, new, uh, administration coming in and uh the tag walks up to me, he's like he's like, How are you doing, Lieutenant Carr and all <laughs> the look on everyone's face, they were like, What is going on right now? Um, I was just like, Man, that guy outed me. But anyway, great guy. But so so I guess what I, my point was is though, you know, as drilling guardsmen, there's people who, you know, work and live in the civilian world. Um kind of obviously you can't do any political activities, you know, in uniform. I feel like that's a given that I feel like all guardsmen sh- should know that right like we i guess we should we should know that but what are some of those rules um or what are the governing documents i guess which kind of govern like hey what is uh what are what are the limitations and restrictions of guardsmen as a whole
1: um i guess i'll start if that's all right um there's a couple there's a lot of dod policy in this area the primary one is uh DoD instruction, let's see if I get it right, 1344.10, that is political activities in the Department of Defense. There's also one I can't remember, and and Bob can chime in. There's also one on um, protest and dissident activities in the Department of Defense, and that sort of pertains directly to service members' First Amendment rights and their ability to express those First Amendment rights. I think it's 52, something, 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 I can't remember.
2: I I, I can't remember off the top. We
1: can uh, maybe fill it in later. Um, Then there's also service policy as well. So Army command policy, particularly for the Army, AR-600-20 discusses and contains this information as well. Um, And so there's a lot of policy documents out there. But you're right, to your point, uh, in terms of the interest, particularly in traditional guardsmen in this topic, um, the, the baseline rule is really going to be, you know, to the extent you're engaging in any sort of political speech or political activities, you want to make sure that you're not doing it in uniform. It's the dual nature of the Guard in general, right? You've got your civilian life and your civilian views, and you're absolutely, you know, welcome to have those views. Uh, but we can't project to the public uh, any sort of inference that the DOD has this view or that as service members, um, you know, we're doing that, that type of activity in uniform.
2: Right, we, we still have our First Amendment rights, and DOD encourages us to uh, perform the obligations of s- citizenship, such as mm-hmm. uh, voting, things like that. Absolutely. But definitely you, you need to um, refrain from any activity that where, where you associate DOD with any partisan political activity. So we're, wearing the uniform, you would think is a no-brainer, don't do this.
1: And yet it happens. There's some very public cases that have happened really recently.
2: Right, like um, a few years ago, there was a campaign event where uh, someone had a uniform member come up on stage with him and uh, he shouted something along the lines of, go for his candidate, you know, show his support. There was something um, even more recently, I think there was a-
1: uh, Was it a political rally where a service member it was a guard, It was a guards person who uh, was off duty but had decided to wear their uniform to the political rally because they were hoping to get a photo in uniform with a particular candidate. Um, so it was a no-no, really, to be at the political rally in uniform. That's, that's covered in the DOD policy that we referenced before. Um, what ended up happening, though, is the candidate staff saw the individual in uniform and, again, kind of called them up very publicly. It was caught on camera. It hit the local news and then it hit the national news pretty quickly and of course we our our office gets a call hey you've got a guards a guardsman here uh with a a candidate for uh for federal office um we're gonna have to to handle this turn into an investigation etc so
0: so like you 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 both kind of touched on this but the basic rule of thumb with that is don't Don't do do
1: it it
2: in in uniform uniform. yeah
0: right exactly so I guess tying on to something you were talking about, which is the apolitical nature of the Guard a little bit, and, you know, that kind of dual role as a civilian, and I mean, I guess you experienced this as a drilling Guardsman as well, what, you know, can we take a moment to touch on, I guess, the hitch, the history of, you know, the apolitical nature of the Guard as we get as we get utilized a lot more in the active component for, you know, a bunch of things, disaster relief, right, so, domestic.
2: So we we have to remain neutral at all times. It... um we would start to go down a very dangerous road if it appeared that DOD was supporting, uh, one party over another party. Um, the, the fear behind that is that DOD could be used to keep one party in favor, uh, or in power, um, rather than letting the voters decide. And so that that's why we have to remain neutral at all times.
1: So it's also, I think, in terms of current events, it's hard not to think about current events and the current guard mission in terms of what had been going on in the Capitol. Mm-hmm. It gets very sensitive from a an appearance perspective for um, for members of the public who aren't familiar with uh, the guard and various statuses when they see uniform members, um, you know, in the Capitol and uh, in conjunction with, uh, you know, even though an inauguration is a that's an official event, it is, you know. Uh, the oath taking by uh, an incoming president. But it, it's hard sometimes for members of the public to to understand um, why guardsmen might be there. So it's even more important, really, that the, the guard and military in general remain very apolitical in terms of um,
0: building that trust with the. Yeah, American
1: absolutely. And I, it might be helpful to clarify that in terms of, you know, what, what does apolitical mean The definitions differ a little depending on whether or not you're you're a civilian and subject to the Hatch Act or you're a a service member and subject to DOD policy. But generally speaking, when you talk about political activity, it it refers to any activity that um, is geared toward the success or failure of a political party or candidate. So that's kind of the baseline, just so that everyone's, I think we're all tracking what is political activity. So it, it would be one thing for me to maybe make issue-based speech. That's not necessarily political activity. But if I speak for or against a candidate for office and I do so in uniform, that's where it becomes problematic.
0: And I guess to highlight, you mentioned those couple of DOD policies um, as opposed to the Hatch Act. For, so for those that are like interested in making sure they're reading the right stuff. Sure. As DoD members, we don't fall under the Hatch Act, correct?
1: Generally speaking, no.
0: Okay, is there a caveat? Uh,
1: there is a caveat. I think if you are a technician, uh, and so there, there may be some folks out there watching. Uh, if you are a technician, um, a Title V technician, uh, then then you are actually subject to both. There be there's situations in which you're subject to both at the Hatch Act okay. and DoD policy. So. Um, we try to work with the field uh, a lot on this and with the state judge advocates that they're, they're tracking those types of nuances, and uh, they're going to be the best source of advice if particularly traditional guardsmen who are also technicians are out there and have questions on what applies and when, they're going to be the best source of information for them. Did you have anything to add?
2: So um, well, one thing I'd like to add is that, that makes the guard uh, a little different than our active component counterparts is that, well, while we all swear um, and ha- make an oath, sorry, uh, s- swear an oath to the Constitution, Guardsmen also swear to their state constitution as law, part of our dual persona, um, Title 10, and also we have our our state um, commission as well Absolutely. and. Right. Members of the state militia. Well, a part of that is that swearing um, to uphold the, the rules within the Constitution as opposed to an individual person, That that's what makes the United States very unique compared to many of our allies. And uh, ma'am, do you have anything to add to that? Okay. And so, when we do join the military, the the guard or the military or um, when we're mobilized, you know, we, we continue to swear to uphold those values. And it's regardless of our own personal feelings, we are sworn to, you know, protect the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so regardless of our own personal feelings, that's what we do. You know, we comply with the mission and follow the lawful orders of our uh, superiors.
0: Yeah. It's like that, just basically saying like that oath means something and that oath is to the constitution of the United States. Right. And, you know, for, and as, as guardsmen, right, we we are leaders to the state as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know you touched on something a little bit ago, ma'am, where we talked about um, the Hatch Act. Can you give us a definition real quick? Sure.
1: Of- I, maybe not a definition, but just tell everyone what the Hatch Act is. A lot of times there's some confusion out there between you know, what body of law, rule, or policy applies to different folks. Generally speaking, service members, those who are in the military, are subject to DOD policy, as we talked about before. The Hatch Act is what applies to um, specifically employees of the executive branch, civilian employees of the executive branch. Okay. So. Uh, and it's a separate body of rules. The, the general spirit of both policies, the Hatch Act as the law uh, and DOD policy on political activities is is about the same. But there are some nuances with the Hatch Act. And generally speaking, I would say for most civilians, they have a little bit more latitude in terms of expressing their political views uh, in their personal lives um, than, than military folks will. So, for example, um, I may be off duty, going back to the example of the service member who who was off duty and went to a political rally in uniform. So even that person, even though that person was in a leave status at the time, um, still in violation of DOD policy, whereas a civilian who's subject to the Hatch Act, if they were in a leave status and decided to go to a political rally, as long as they weren't overtly identifying themselves as a member, uh, a-, a DOD employee, an Army employee, an Air Force employee, for example, then they wouldn't be in violation of the Hatch Act. So they have a little bit more latitude on their, on their personal side in terms of what they can and can't do under the Hatch Act, generally speaking.
0: Well, and that leads me right into my next question, actually, which was you know, as a drilling traditional guardsman, what are some of those things that I can do? Like, can I tend to, you know, a political rally? Can I lobby a candidate? Can I give financially? I don't know. Do you, sir, want to?
2: Sure. You know? So generally, you are permitted to do anything um, <clears throat> that, that you want, as long as you don't associate DOD with partisan political activity, again, okay. wearing the uniform or uh, going on social media and announcing your role as a member of the National Guard and espousing your beliefs, that that would also be improper. You are permitted to run for office um, as a part-time guardsman. You're permitted to campaign on behalf of someone else who's running for office. Again, you, you just need to keep your two roles separate between your civilian self and your military, your guard's persona.
0: So basically, as a traditional guardsman in an in a M day status, as long as I separate it out, like I don't do things in uniform, I don't associate with the guard. I can, I can do I, I can go speak at political events, I can fundraise, I can you know work be a political candidate, right any of those things.
2: However, with a caveat that you can't go back and pressure your subordinates if you're campaigning on, some, on behalf of someone in your civilian status. For you to even have a conversation with the subordinate, if I'm campaigning on some behalf of someone and I rate you, Captain Carr, it would be inappropriate if I said, hey, we're having a fundraiser. The plates are only $100. Come on over. It'll be a great time. I'll introduce you to some people. It'll be good for you. That, that would be improper.
1: I'll give you another example, too. You, you wouldn't be able to use government resources, your uh, military resources, in support of your efforts. So wearing of the uniform is a no. Suggesting any sort of DOD support for your, your particular view or your role or your political activities is a no. But also use of government resources. So um, say you wanted to fundraise, but you wanted to use um, a listserv that you grabbed from... Um, your office, you know, a a DOD uh, information systems or email lists, those sorts of things, those are also a a no. You're not going to be, nor could you, you know, if you wanted to just use government resources to run off a bunch of flyers because you were running for office or in support of your candidate, that would also be
0: a no. So just touching on that real quick, you know, so let's say, you know, Colonel Warrior wants to run for office someday, right? and you know obviously he's a veteran right has a long uh, illustrious military service um can he use pictures of his military service when he runs for office or how do, is that what are some of the rules on that uh
1: this is discussed pretty uh I, this is actually probably one part of the dod uh, political activities policies for service members that i think is is i think it's the clearest mm-hmm. um there's a really good robust discussion in there of what uh individuals uh, who are running for public office are permitted to do in terms of their uh, military service. Uh, you don't have to ignore it. Is the good news. Military service is a it's a it's a biographical fact, and as long as you treat it as a biographical fact, then it's generally going to be okay to make mention or reference to your military service in your campaign materials. Um, You're also allowed to use photographs as long as the photographs that you're using are not the primary graphic representation of your campaign. So where we see issues sometimes, um, and we saw one pretty recently um, involving someone who was running for uh, a U.S. Senate seat who had a guard background and um, a political action committee put together an ad with the individual's knowledge and consent that included only photos and footage of the individual in uniform with nothing else so typically you're going to see when someone's running for office photos with their family photos with their pets kissing babies shaking hands out in the community doing public service those sorts of things and then spliced in are those military photos as well which are fine when it becomes the sole primary graphic representation a big billboard with only a photo of someone in uniform uh, an ad on facebook or a twitter uh, post that shows them only in uniform um, that's where it becomes problematic. So it's just got to be part of the broader whole. If you treat it like a biographical fact and the photos as part of that, then it'll be fine.
0: So really, I guess, kind of getting into gray areas, or do you want to you hit on what I guess is probably like the elephant in the room, which is social media? Um, I feel like we're all on social media these days. Do you want to kind of highlight, like, as a drilling guardsman, you know, what can I do on social media, you know, if I, you know, you maybe talk about posting, you know, versus like, I know we talked about profile pictures a little bit here, you know, what does that look like?
2: So Can you you, bounce, you, you're, you're allowed to like political posts, you're allowed to, you know, post statements of your own personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you need to be careful with what you're writing you know there are limits and standards of conduct for mi- military members and you don't want to violate those standards of conduct of what's expected like professionalism standards e- exactly
1: disparaging public officials maybe in your language that's right.
2: sort of thing and so people always need to be cognizant of that and i i think that trips up some guardsmen when they're home alone on their phone not really thinking about uh, the second and third order effects of what they could be posting. Likewise, um, you cannot campaign on behalf of someone. So um, sharing some links to your candidate and uh, recommending that other people vote for them uh, is also improper.
0: As a traditional guardsman too, i'm sorry okay
2: so um a, as a traditional guardsman you you can do that, okay. but again uh you 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 need to think before you do so.
1: I think, so uh, back up maybe a little bit, this is an area, the social media area where, and you probably recognize this in the public affairs realm, there's sort of a lack of DOD policy in general. Um, There's a lot of products out there that folks have tried to put together, but in terms of political activities, the, the guidance hasn't necessarily caught up to specifically address public affairs. And my understanding is in the next DOD political activities policy, there's gonna be some specific guidelines on political activities. I think if you always fall back to asking yourself as a traditional guardsman, is what I'm about to do on social media or could it reasonably lead an individual to believe that, um, that, that the Department of Defense or Army or Air Force supports this particular view, mm-hmm. um, then you may wanna back off what you're doing. So before you share a post um, on behalf of a candidate, if your if your profile photo is of you in uniform and all of your biographical information leads links you directly to your your military position and nothing else then then someone could argue that there's an inference of dod support for what what you're posting out there so so i would be a little careful in that area um particularly so liking something liking a post is one thing Expressing a personal view on social media
0: within some like recommendations maybe or perhaps examples that you've seen of, you know You know, what's this? This was okay. This was not okay That you can talk about
1: I just think you know my my personal practice Maybe that's what I can offer is I have on my on my social media that I'm a member an employee of the Army, Army National Guard uh, guard, but I don't I don't have a photo my profile is not of myself in uniform and I I really stay away from posting um, Anything uh, uh, Political honestly.
2: Yeah, same here <laughs> same here. Th- there's no prohibition on having yourself in uniform as your profile picture But I I don't think that that's a good practice um,
1: Maybe from an OPSEC perspective as well. I just I don't necessarily right, want people to yeah. see that that photo so
0: so I guess To caveat off of that, since that's the word of the day here we keep using. uh, Bunch of lawyers.
1: (laughs) We're always caveating.
0: (laughs) So let's say I'm a traditional guardsman then, but everything on my social media profile points to me being in the military. You know, I'm in uniform. I say that I work at the military um, and I'm promoting a political candidate, you know, Barney Fife for president. Is that acceptable? Is that not acceptable?
2: I don't believe there's an outright prohibition on it. However, I, I believe it's improper. It's getting into that gray area where if someone from the public believes that their representations are on behalf of DOD, then that is improper. And if someone could be confused, you want to stay out of that area.
1: And one one way you may avoid the confusion all this this is clunky on social media right i know twitter gives you i'm gonna age myself here is it 140 characters i don't so i uh, i'm not yeah i don't i don't tweet very much um uh but you could also you know so say you felt very strongly you've got your photo in uniform your traditional guardsman it's all over your profile that you're affiliated with the dod but you really want to make this this political statement on your facebook page throw a disclaimer up there say hey what i'm about to say it, these are my views and my views alone, and they, they are not in any way representative of the Department of Defense, Army, Air Force, et cetera. You could do that, and then it makes absolutely clear. It's not perfect. I still think I still think there's an argument to be made that it might be improper, um, but it's better than just maybe leading uh, your, your social media followers to think that, that these could be the views of the DoD.
0: So from what I'm understanding, like the spirit of the intent behind the rules here is we just as traditional guardsmen you have first amendment rights you just don't want to give the public the appearance that you're conveying messages on behalf of DOD or the guard or whatever yeah
1: that's sort of the baseline there's there's a fallback rule in that DOD active political activities policy that basically says you know, members of the military who are not on active duty, which would include traditional guardsmen, they're allowed to do all the things that we've just talked about are prohibited, except to the extent that they ever create the appearance um, that DOD um, is, in, is endorsing uh, the success or failure of a political candidate or party. So uh, to the extent anyone ever does that and leads anyone to believe that that, that is the case, that DOD supports a political cause or, or candidate or party that's that's the bottom line.
0: So then I guess shifting gears here to active duty on an active status. Now, does, does active status matter? I know we talk about like Title 32 status versus uh, Title 10 status. Can you just give us a quick rundown of, hey, what are some of the changes based off what we've discussed so far on when you, when I'm an active duty soldier, what are some of those things that I can't do anymore?
1: Sure. How about I start at least with who's encompassed with the definition of active duty under okay. the policy? It's a little confusing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe we can roll into you providing some of the, the the do's and don'ts for folks who are on active duty. For the purposes of the DoD policy, and this is not true of all DoD policies. You know, normally when we talk about guardsmen, if you're in Title Thirty Two status, you may or may not. You're usually not really considered on active duty for purposes of of certain types of rules. That is not the case with DOD political activities policy. The definition of active duty uh, specifically also includes individuals who are on full-time Title 32 orders. So um, if you're full-time Title 32, it's also sometimes referred to as full-time National Guard duty. Uh, and I think the, the they use an acronym probably in the DOD policy itself. That also, those folks are on active duty as well. So it's a little different than other DOD policies. And I wanna make sure that people, sometimes they read the, any... The policy, and they come away thinking, "Oh, this just applies to Title 10." It's not true. If you're on full-time Title 32 orders, you're also subject to um, to, to those
0: orders, basically.
1: Correct. Now, not state active duty. Correct. So, if for some reason, you were on extended or full-time state active duty orders. Um, the the prohibitions are not going to apply to you. But full-time Title 10 or Title 32, you're covered. Okay. You want
2: to hit on well, some of those uh, differences, sir, <laughs> along the state active duty <clears throat> exceptions. That that that's what permitted our guardsmen to work at polling stations yeah. o- over the mm-hmm. past season and uh, out of uniform and on state active duty. That way, that's a
1: great point. It's a gr- it's a good real world example. So normally, the DoD acti- political activities policy absolutely prohibits service members from working at polling stations, um, but because of the unique um, issues that arose during COVID. Uh, A lot of poll workers, um, I understand, are sometimes advanced in age, the ones who really volunteer at polls. And so they couldn't man the polls as they normally would. And the Guard was called in, in many cases, to fulfill that mission. And we had to work really closely with the DOD to ensure that these folks were working on a voluntary basis and on state active duty orders only, because it was there's a there's a hard prohibition against being in certain types of status and working at polling stations.
2: In the correct status and making sure that what they were doing was just in support of that polling station. You know. And not
1: of any candidate.
2: Oh. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. So So then that taking this unique example and applying it to okay I'm a title 32 guardsman out there or a title 10 guardsman. I'm I'm on active status somewhere. What are some of those rules that are things I can't do now? You know, can I fundraise? Can I speak at a political event on my time off? Like what, what can I do?
2: So no fundraising, no soliciting on behalf of your candidate of choice. Knock on doors.
0: Not even if I'm in civilian clothes after hours.
2: We had a, uh, a guardsman who came on Title X ADOS orders and said, hey, here I am. I want to go work on behalf of this candidate. You can't do that. No, not at all. Um, we had another person who contacted our office and said, um, hey, I'd like to participate in a parade on behalf of my candidate in my neighborhood. So I'm thinking like maybe two or three cars. Yeah. Like an ad hoc kind of just neighborhood. Which maybe, I don't know. Uh, and, and so one thing you learn quickly as a lawyer, no one tells you the whole s- situation oh, when yeah. they first reach out to you. And so <clears throat> uh, I started digging I'm like, so how big is this parade? Is it just you and your buddy? Are you guys in one vehicle? And you're just like, woohoo, our, our candidate? Or, um, what, what exactly is going on? Is it a very organized parade? Are there going to be police? Are you shutting down roads? Like provide some context and details. And, um, they ended up coming back and saying, so several different county, uh, political offices were organizing this parade on behalf of their candidate. And he wanted to participate and, um, we had to respond and tell, tell him no, that he could not respond.
1: And that's because the, the regulation specifically prohibits members on duty from participating in political, participating to include marching or just being in a political
0: parade. So in, from what I was understanding, like, you know, if I'm on active status, right, I can write a letter to the editor. Yeah, you
1: can vote. You can vote. You can write a letter to the editor. Uh, you can always identify yourself by your name. Rank and service affiliation, but not your position. Um, i always I do always say this, and whenever we we provide political activities training, I say, you know you're absolutely welcome to write a letter to the editor. Um, as attorneys, we're always happy to review your letter to the editor before you uh, before you hit send on it just to make sure that you don't inadvertently sort of run afoul of the rules
2: That is one thing I've been meaning to say like several times during this podcast is you can always contact your legal office. We're always here, and we would much rather have a conversation with you before you do something.
0: And then on the the afterwards. Yes. So I, you know, I can't fundraise. I can't solicit as an active duty member. I can't run for office.
2: You
1: can. So I think we can go back. Maybe it's some good news, right? You can vote. You can write a letter to the editor and have it published expressing your personal views. Um... You cannot, however, correct me if I'm wrong. You cannot that letter can't specifically state, "I'm supporting X candidate for the following reasons." Rather, you can write sort of an issue-based letter and say, mm-hmm. "You know, the current administration's policies on X, I I disagree with for the following reasons." Right. Um, you can also have a bumper sticker on mm-hmm. your vehicle. You cannot wrap your entire vehicle. Um, which is like a big thing now, right? These wrapped vehicles, you can't have giant signs or huge magnets all over the vehicle in support of one candidate. It's limited literally to, yeah, I hate using literally. It's just a bumper sticker. And it's funny because we get a lot of, you know, you'll get questions. People want to know how far they can take the bumper sticker. I don't know the exact dimensions of a bumper sticker, but it's like the standard bumper sticker. That's, that's all you can have on your car. Um, you can put a yard sign in your in your in front of your personal quarters. Um, sometimes on military installations, they do limit yard signs, and that just may be, or, or maybe your or yeah, if your HOA says so no yard signs, then that's a separate body of yeah
0: yeah exactly. HOAs are the worst. <laughs> so true. I got I got on the board, you know, because I was like, don't do close, it. Got to be closer, right? Exactly.
1: But you know, to to actually to sort of dovetail though in nicely to. Um, maybe into like, are you allowed to be on active duty and serve as a member of your HOA? Uh, Because sometimes we get these types of questions Mm -hmm. like, can I be on a school board if it's a nonpartisan position? Can I be a local council member if it's nonpartisan? Can I be on my HOA if it's sort of an elected position? And the answer is usually yes. yes. Yeah, generally yes, if they're nonpartisan. For things like city council or school board, we do al- always recommend also just kind of run it by your legal office as well, if you're on active duty, just to make sure that we can, we're 100% certain that it, there's no political aspects to that particular position.
2: So one, one other aspect of um, political activities that we see is that um, guardsmen who are running or are have already been voted into elected office will get mobilized. And they will want to retain that office. Um, so, if they're on active duty orders for 270 days or more, they'll need to submit a request to the Secretary of the Army, and so that goes through right. their right, <laughs> or uh, so so that will go through their state legal office to us, and then we'll work with a uh, S- Secretary of the Army to obtain approval. Um,
1: and if approved, and so that goes back to the fact that. You know, members on active duty can't hold elected civil office at the same time as they're on active duty. Uh, If approved, then what the secretary's permission allows the member to do is retain the office. And so this has happened pretty frequently, and we see this happening more and more as more more traditional guardsmen are running for office, and then with op tempo, they're getting mobilized at at increasing levels. Um, The classic example is someone is elected as a state senator or representative. Um, they are mobilized for 365 days or longer um, to for an overseas mission, um, and they're going to. Re- they don't want to step away from the office. They don't. They don't want to just vacate the office. I guess yeah. is the, probably the, the correct way to say it. So what would happen is they would request secretarial approval to retain the office. That means they don't have to vacate the office. But if approved, they can't exercise the functions of the office. So there's still someone who's gonna have to be the acting ex or, right. But at least when they're finished with their mobilization, they can come back and be the state senator or representative that they were before um, without having to vacate the office or run for office again. Uh, This also, sometimes it encompasses um, someone who wants to run for office as well. So they may, it may be time to refile for and campaign for an office. While they're mobilized, um, and generally speaking, in order to be able to even file to run for civil office while they're on active duty, that requires secretarial approval as well. And in an interesting nuance, if that's approved, they're allowed to be a candidate for office, but they are not actually, while on orders, allowed to campaign for the office. And you're like, how can someone be a candidate for office and not campaign for it? Uh, Apparently, we've learned through this process that you can hire a professional who basically you offload all aspects of your campaign to one of these individuals. So it's like a campaign manager um, deluxe, I guess, who runs every aspect of your campaign. You can't even really work behind the scenes directing any portion of the campaign while you're on active duty.
0: So, and, and that's probably a lot smaller subset of people than like... You would
1: think. It happens a lot, though. Yeah. I would say, how many do you think we get a year of these particular... I've things?
2: only seen a few, ma'am.
1: All right. I will say um, I, I've seen probably over 50 uh, oh. since being here at NGB. So we get about 10 a year.
2: So when people are planning, you know, for their post-active career or even just coming off ADOS orders and they have all this terminal leave, they want to file and so they want to get things started so that that's when that generally arrives yeah that's true
0: too yeah. yeah so then you know recapping us back as a on on an active status you know i just have a lot there's a lot more restrictions i can still exercise you know my right to vote i can still write you know letters to the editor on political issues but when it comes to social media or when it comes to doing anything, like I, I'm assuming I can attend a political rally, I just can't participate in it. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. You nailed it. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so I can attend a political rally, I just can't participate. It doesn't matter if you're
2: in or out
1: of uniform, so that's a sort of an important distinction, whereas with the traditional guardsmen, a lot of times the trigger is whether or not you're doing something in uniform. If you're a member on active duty, uh, you can attend that political rally. Um, but you can't participate in, even if you're not in it if you're, even if you're not in uniform. So um, if you're asked to speak at a political rally or event, even if you're not in uniform, even if you were in a leave status, if you're on active duty, you'd be absolutely prohibited from participating regardless of what you're wearing.
0: Yeah, and I guess that kind of circles us back around to the apolitical nature of the United States military, right? Um, I know we kind of hit on this earlier, but I guess you know all these rules are in place. I guess the so what or the why behind it, I'm I'm assuming has to do with building that trust with the American people. Yeah, I mean I don't know if you had any more thoughts on that. But
2: so no, that that's something that DoD takes very seriously to remain that apolitical nature of the um, of the department. Uh, if it started to shift. DOD permitted service members to start to become more political when it's inappropriate, then that could cause a loss of trust within DOD and that would be a very dangerous slippery slope.
0: Do you have any um, good examples, I guess, as we're kind of like wrapping some things up or or, uh, best practices for how to prevent uh, guardsmen from running afoul of these uh <laughs> these uh
1: yeah you know i policies. mean training only goes so far and i remember to, to bob's credit when we got that that tasker to basically train the entire army within 30 days on political activities uh yikes that's a big one um and you know i think there's a there's probably a lot of uh on we these days with like online based training and, and but I, I will say you know sometimes just sitting through one of these briefings is helpful I know you alluded earlier to don't be afraid to ask your local legal office some of these questions um and here you know at the National Guard Bureau we get we get a bunch of questions and some really there are you know I know the old saying there's no such thing as a bad question I think in the political activities realm especially like all the questions we get are really good and they're nuanced and interesting and always thought provoking. Um, it's an interesting area. It's probably one of my favorite things that we advise on, but it is also, yeah. I think sometimes, the one that has the most gray area. Um, and that's why I said to you earlier, there's never a time when I get one of these questions, and, and you might be the same, where I don't crack open the regulations and look at them anew before answering any question, because it's complicated.
2: Absolutely. Um, For, for that individual who wanted to go to ride in that parade Uh, on behalf of their candidate, I'm very glad that he reached out to our office and asked just to make sure, and it was actually a supervisor who said, I don't know. You might want to go talk about that with a legal office. And so again, just as a reminder, uh, you can't solicit on behalf of your candidate. That individual's probably brought that back into the office and talked about how he was going to ride in this parade on behalf of his candidate. And so you need to be very careful because your subordinate may not like your candidate and, or may feel that you are soliciting. So you just need to be very
0: careful. Well, and I guess, you know, transitioning here, in light of, you know, what we just saw, you kind of touched on earlier with, you know, the the large scale mobilization that we did, after the Capitol riots, right, right with with National Guardsmen, I feel like, what from what I'm understanding from like a lot of these policies is they're they're in place to help maintain confidence that the National Guard can be used in those domestic situations to be the framework that you know the American people can rely on. You know, as, sure.
1: Anytime the Guard, you've got uniformed service members providing what essentially looks like security or maybe even police functions, which we know. Is, is prohibited in a Title X status um, it's very important f- to avoid that kind of appearance of, of martial law I guess and and um, and that all sort of ties into the political activities realm as well so by by remaining apolitical um, when the guard is called upon to perform those domestic missions the idea is that that the American people can understand that they're they are just they're meeting this mission to support and defend the Constitution uh, and not because of any particular political cause party candidate, anything along those lines.
2: So I, I attended a lecture in January with someone that, that was speaking about national security and um, our speaker referred to the National Guard as America's Band-Aid because we, we can do anything that were used for so many different missions to uh, address so, so many different problems. If our members start getting political, that would um, impact our ability to
0: perform those missions and accomplish what we need to do. Prevent us from being America's Band-Aid. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So ma'am, are there any other special situations that we should be aware of when it comes to conduct related to political activities?
2: Yeah,
1: I think one thing maybe we haven't touched on, we've really focused a lot on wear of the uniform and what you can and can't do in those terms and and what you can and can't do on different types of orders. One thing that we also need to be thinking about is what's appropriate in the federal workplace. Um, And so even if you are a traditional guardsman, but you're working in a federal workplace, or if you're a full-time member on active duty, um, what's appropriate in the federal workplace? Generally speaking, having political discussions, um, certainly soliciting subordinates, as we discussed before, uh, fundraising-wise, or even just saying, gather around while I tell you about the candidate I'm voting for and why, that's, that's inappropriate to have those types of discussions. It may also be inappropriate to have um, certain items in your workspace. So even though, I know we all like to decorate our workspaces with, with various items, maybe sports teams that we're fans of, personal photos, those sorts of things. Sometimes we issues arise when someone brings um, political materials and tries to hang them in their workspace. So a political poster or that bumper sticker that you're allowed to put on your car, you're not going to be allowed to put it, that same bumper sticker, a- around or on your desk. You can't have a screensaver that would um, be in favor of any political party or candidate uh, over another. Um, for those of you who may not wear a uniform into work when you're walking into a federal workplace, maybe you change, you do PT first and, and change after you go to the gym, uh, you can't wear a t-shirt into the federal workspace or a hat or other items that would uh, support one particular party or candidate over another. So important to remember that. And those those rules generally apply to civilians under the Hatch Act as well. So. One question we also get, just a little bit of a nuance, is when there is a sitting president who is also running again for re-election, is it okay to have a photo of that sitting president in your workspace? And the answer is generally yes. There, you can have the the president's official photo, even if they're running for re-election. You're also allowed to have a photo if, if for some reason, you met the president and took a photo of yourself, even if you were in uniform you can you can display that personal photo that you took of yourself with uh, the president or with another political candidate um but generally speaking those are going to be the only two situations in which you would be allowed to display a photo of a sitting president uh who's also running for re-election
0: so i know this is diving into the weeds a little bit yeah, here yeah maybe but, uh you know you mentioned a, you can't have posters of like a political candidate right this, this is actually something that you know, I, I, you know, when I was worked in politics, I have all these things, right? But they're at my house now, right? Because I don't bring them in the office, right? On full-time orders. However, I guess my question brings into, you know, we're, we're doing all this telework stack and video conference calls and stuff. So how does that transition? Like, do I have to make sure that, you know, if I'm on a video conference call, I'm not displaying, you know, political materials in the background? Or what's your thoughts?
2: I would recommend against having those visible just keep those out of your background. Um, I, I think Colonel just mentioned it earlier. DoD policy hasn't really kept up. You know, um, I'm sure DoD didn't anticipate that we'd be teleworking and how those rules w- w- would apply. can
0: it foresee this whole pandemic <laughs> thing, really. <laughs> it's a great question
1: though, and I think your answer is spot on. I think to the, you know, you kind of want to cleanse or sanitize your background, and if you can't do that, I think a lot of um, a lot of different platforms when you're going to be on camera allow you to blur your background so that only you're being shown, you might do that. So if you absolutely can't, you know, maybe you're, you've got your entire wall that's decorated with um, with stuff in support of a particular candidate or party, you just want to blur it out. If you can't move your, your desk area, uh, in particular, if you're going to give sort of an outside interview or go to an outside meeting where there's non-DOD stakeholders involved particularly important to be, um, to be aware of what what's going on behind you. It's not just kids running across the camera anymore, right? It's, you know, what if you've got a sticker or a poster up behind you? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. It's not too in the weeds at all. It's a really good one.
0: Well, ma'am and sir, is there any final thoughts that you had uh, piece of advice to soldiers here as we wrap up?
1: You know, this is, this is probably the most highly charged political environment Political environment, I can recall in recent years. Um, I don't think I've ever, I can never recall a time when people have had so many opinions, very strong opinions, one way or another. So, to your point, um, you know, before you fire off that tweet or that Facebook post, you know, all of those platforms allow you to, to stop and pause and save what you are, are drafting before you, you hit send. Just drinks are not. Take a moment, Um, and then finally, of course, as you've alluded to many times, I think we've mentioned multiple times, you don't want to beat the dead horse, but um, your legal advisors really are there to help you navigate this area. And so it's always, we we love it when people ask before they do something rather than having to to try to fix it after the fact or or address the consequences after the fact. So don't be afraid to ask the question,
0: I would say. I, I agree. Yeah. Well, Colonel Urges and Lieutenant Colonel War, thank you so much for coming and spending some time with us today and sharing some of your expertise. My pleasure. My pleasure. If you would like more information on any of the topics discussed today, please visit our social media pages in the links below. Tune in to Leaders Recon over the next few weeks as we bring in today's leaders and pioneers to discuss their experiences, share their wisdom, and help you grow as a leader. If you like this episode of Leaders Recon, please don't forget to subscribe below, and leave us a five-star review. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.